Welcome back to my top 50 board games of all time. Today we'll be concluding what we started in the previous podcast episode, where I covered my 50th through my 26th favorite game. So, if you missed that episode, then maybe you should put this one on hold for a moment, because I can assure you that those were 25 games you do not want to miss. For those of you who are ready, we'll now be finishing things out by discussing games 25 through 1 on my greatest of all time list. That's right, the cream of the cream of the crop. My name is Nick Murray, and this is the Bitewing Games Podcast. Alright, starting with my number 25 game of all time. It is Camel Up 2nd Edition, which is best suited for everyone. Camel Up might be the most reliable party game in my collection. If there is any game that I can place before a random assortment of 4-8 to eight friends, family, or strangers, and expect them to request a second and third play in a row, that game is undoubtedly Camel Up. None can resist the allure of betting on chunky, colorful camels as they race around the desert. Between the stacking camels, dice-dispensing pyramid, memorably dramatic moments, pop-up palm tree, and shoot-for-the-moon strategies, this one has it all. My number 24 game of all time is El Grande, best suited for everyone. While it doesn't have the party pizzazz of Camel Up, El Grande has been another crowd-pleaser at my table. This classic strategy game of competing for area majorities is unmatched in its elegant flow and potent interaction. Many designs since have wisely borrowed from El Grande's masterclass mechanisms, but few, if any, have risen to its level of grace and wit, plus the drama of revealing the contents of the towering Castillo. It's not really worth considering outside of the four or five player count, But within that range, you'll find consistently satisfying area influence, auctioning, and action drafting to be had. And El Grande designer Wolfgang Kramer just brought us last year's Renature, which is my number 23 game, and he did it with the help of Azul designer Michael Kiesling. This one is best suited for everyone, just be ready for some mean moments. And this is a game that I'm loving more and more with each new play. One of the quickest ways to my heart is down the path of simple, clever brutality. Emery Nature is indeed beautifully simple, wonderfully clever, and deliciously brutal. This game sees its competitors placing one domino onto the board at a time, and touching domino animals must match. But the placement of a domino also allows one to plant an adjacent foliage piece, and these plant tokens are used to compete for area majority or even cancel out other players' plants. I stand by my declaration that this is the greatest domino game of all time. My number 22 game is A Feast for Odin, which is best suited for hobbyist gamers. While it has dropped out of my previous top 10 games list, that's more of a side effect of many other stellar games climbing their way up the rankings than A Feast for Odin becoming any less enjoyable over time. I would label this a heavy, worker placement, polyomino, euro game with relatively low interaction. When there are roughly 60 worker placement spaces to choose from, like a wide sandbox of strategies one can use to acquire points, it is typically quite effortless to stay out of each other's way and do your own thing. While this podcast is riddled with me bemoaning low interaction games on a regular basis, 
mostly due to their commonly stale dynamics and limited replayability, I find that A Feast for Odin is one of the few exceptions to my preferences. The numerous interlocking concepts and mechanisms here are perfect for a warm, cozy, lazy few hours of puzzling perfection that still satisfies after all these plays. My number 21 game is Bus, which is best suited for cold-blooded strategists. Bus is a game about building bus routes and transporting passengers around town, yet this design is no flowery ticket to ride. Imagine a world where all people were predictable creatures of habit. They go to work, then head to the bar, then go home. Rinse and repeat. As long as a bus route can get them there, of course. On and on they cycle through this unchanging lifestyle, with the only exception being when a greedy bus line decides to stop time. Suddenly, everyone in town decides to work another shift in a row, or pull an all-nighter at the bar, or play hooky from their jobs and kick back at home. And all the buses that were prepared to take them to their usual next destination are suddenly hosed and empty-handed. With completely open information and not even a hint of luck, Bus is a pure strategy game that has players feuding over the tight economy of passengers in an effort to scrape just a few precious point morsels from this ruthless game. My number 20 game is Tournament at Avalon, which is best suited for everyone. If you really want to know what this wacky, trick-taking card game is all about, I would direct you to my full review from last year, which you can find on our blog at bitewinggames.com. Here's a sample of what I said. If the possibility of falling behind early and spending the rest of the game trying to claw your way back to the top while your leading opponents pounce on you like sharks to a bleeding prey sounds dreadful, then steer clear of Tournament at Avalon. Then again, perhaps you're like me. Maybe you're happy to roll with the punches and simply want to experience trick-taking at its finest. In Tournament at Avalon, you may be completely fine with being the favorite pinata of the round because you see the fresh gaping wound in your side for what it truly is, a fire hose of retribution. You may be the type of competitor who loves to form shaky alliances with fellow weaklings to surround and beat down the mighty. And when you are the current king of the hill, you welcome the opportunity to bob and weave around targeted attacks and gleefully watch as swinging blows skim past your head to land squarely on your neighbor's face. And that's why Tournament at Avalon is my number 20 game of all time. My number 19 game is My City, best suited for everyone. Perhaps you've noticed by now that I have a soft spot for great polyomino games. In my top 50 board games of all time, we've already covered titans from master polyomino designer Uwe Rosenberg, including A Feast for Odin and New York Zoo. Yet the game that claims the crown to the world's best polyomino game, and the title that makes a strong case for being the best legacy design yet, is none other than Reiner Kinesia's My City. We've played this one 24 times now, that's as many episodes as the game contains, so we're not likely to play it much further with the Eternal game, but that's more plays than most other titles on this list. We'll always hold a special memory in our hearts for the journey we took through My City. My number 18 game of all time is Ethnos, which is best suited for everyone. Ethnos remains one of my go-to gateway games, or games to introduce people to this hobby, because it never fails to entertain newcomers while continuing to engage me. While the art direction could use a drastic overhaul to match the family-friendly nature of the design, none of that matters once the cards are dealt and the fun begins. 
Turns are as simple as drawing a card or playing a set known as a band of allies of matching colors or creatures. The band will net you points while the card on top of your band, known as the leader, grants you a special bonus and a token placement on the map. Much like El Grande, players compete for points via area majorities. While some folks complain of top decking in Ethnos, where you spend your turns drawing a card off the top of the deck until you find what you want, I find this to be a hollow complaint, thanks to a little wrinkle that Paolo Mori includes in the design. Whenever you play a band of cards from your hand, you must discard the rest of your hand face up into the market for other players to feast on. Suddenly, you have to decide whether the top decking strategy is worth it for that one extra card, because everything else you draw will simply help your competition. My number 17 game of all time is The King's Dilemma, which is best suited for a regular group of 5 players. Aside from my city, The King's Dilemma is the only other legacy design that made my top 50 board games of all time, or even came close for that matter. The concept of a legacy game, a game whose rules and components permanently change over time based on the outcome and decision of each play, is a fascinating, alluring, and popular feature in the industry. But our experience with some of the more popular options has uncovered its ugly side effects, including rules and component management fatigue, forced narratives, messy productions, and unwieldy scheduling requirements. Burnout is real within this genre, but The King's Dilemma has soared over these common traps across our many plays by staying focused on the addicting core concept of political negotiation and bribing. As you'll soon find out with even higher rated games on my list, I'm a sucker for a good negotiation game, and The King's Dilemma hits the spot. I love how the secret incentives can have me championing the cause of the good people in one game and sacrificing their well-being for my personal gain in the next, like the greedy posterity of a heroic monarch. My number 16 game of all time is Wavelength, which is best suited for everyone, but especially groups of six or more. And here we arrive at my favorite party game of all time. Between Kyle's video review and my own written review, we've covered the entire spectrum of reasons why we love Wavelength. The simple truth is that Wavelength effortlessly captures the feeling of a game show and generates engaging conversations and hilarious memories that last far beyond the party. It was the first game I backed on Kickstarter, sending me down the rabbit hole of thrillingly creative possibilities. And if you want to read more about that rabbit hole of Kickstarter that I went down, you can look up my blog post titled How to Win Backers and Crowdfund Projects, a case study. This is particularly helpful for people who are looking to put their own games on Kickstarter. My number 15 game of all time is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, which is best suited for everyone. Now we are on to my top-rated cooperative game. And not only that, but this is one of only two cooperative games that made my entire top 50 board games of all time. Don't get me wrong here. I dig a solid cooperative game such as Pandemic, Mysterium, and Horrified. Yet those types of games obviously don't quite hit the spot for me as all the competitive ones on my list. So what makes The Crew so special? In this mission-based trick-taking game, everyone's turns matter, and nobody can quarterback them through it. The only communication allowed between players is a single token that lets you signal or imply information about some of the cards in your hand. Each new challenge and each new hand of cards presents an obstacle that can often seem impossible to overcome, yet it feels amazing when your crew finally triumphs. It's an addictive challenge that takes players on an unforgettable 50-mission journey. 
My number 14 game of all time is For Sale, or the newer version, For Sale Autorama, which is best suited for everyone. We're talking about my two favorite card games back-to-back between The Crew and now For Sale. For Sale consists of two phases. Auctioning coins for houses that become your hand of cards, then selling that hand of cards one at a time in a closed auction. Whenever I pass on the auctioning of the first phase, I have to pay half of what I've bid up to that point and take the lowest value face-up house. So there is a game of chicken between players when nobody wants to take that grungy outhouse card and thus the bidding war ensues. Yet, the outhouse card might be a great one to claim with a pass in a particular round if the other options aren't that much better and spending your precious coins to avoid it will merely land you a slightly higher card. The second phase becomes a game of predicting your opponent's plays as the bidding becomes a closed auction where everyone plays a single house card face down and reveals their bid at the same time and the values of the money cards are dispersed to players according to who bid highest, who bid lowest, and everything in between. Nothing feels worse than wasting your best card on an auction that everyone else played low for. Conversely, eking out the best money card of a round with a measly house makes you feel like a mastermind. And that roller coaster of emotions is the magic of for sale. My number 13 game of all time is Root, best suited for a regular group of hobbyist gamers. Root has to be one of the most aesthetically charming games on this list. Screen printed, Wooden animal tokens and their more detailed card and board illustrations are all brimming with personality. Rich colors of the woodland span from deep orange hues to refreshing green shades. Card suits consist of mice, birds, foxes, and rabbits. There's no shortage of warmth in the presentation of Root. Yet this art direction was intentionally chosen because of the stark contrast it presents against the savage gameplay. These woodland creatures are at war and a negotiated alliance in one round can quickly become a callous betrayal in the next. I've done it myself. No animal is safe from a sudden beatdown, and only one faction will triumph. With the consistent release of more expansions, including animal factions over these past few years, and at least two more expansions in the pipeline, it feels as though I could explore Root's fascinating asymmetry for dozens upon dozens of more plays. My number 12 game of all time is Babylonia, which is best suited for everyone. This may not be shocking to you, but Reiner Kinesi's Babylonia at number 12 feels like a bit of a stealth ranking to me. It's one of the more recent Kinesias which flew under my radar as I was gobbling up his more popular and revered titles. Yet when I finally came around to Babylonia, I found it to be a rock-solid game that grew on me with each and every play. This is a fast-paced, 45-minute strategy game that I've thoroughly enjoyed at the 2, 3, and 4 player counts. Everything about picking up the clackety wood tiles, slotting them into my rack, and deciding which ones to place onto the board and where makes for a deeply satisfying ritual. My deepest thanks is owed to Space Biff, whose eloquently written review talked me into trying this brilliant jewel. My number 11 game of all time is Inish, which is best suited for everyone. While it's no longer my number one game of all time, Inish remains an outstanding area control experience of careful drafting, crafty card play, elegant combat, and sneaky intentions. Because there are three different conditions one can aim for to become the victor, I've rarely seen a game that didn't come down to the wire as players wrestle to become king of the Celtic hill. 
The production is a mesmerizing masterclass in capturing the mysterious theme thanks to Jim Fitzpatrick's alluring illustrations and Dimitri Bialak's lovely tiles. Ultimately, Inish is as much about playing your opponents as it is about playing the game, and that subtle politicking is what makes it consistently satisfying for me. My number 10 game of all time is Chinatown, which is best suited for everyone. Out of all the games that made my top 10, Chinatown is the dark horse that snuck its way on here. This pure negotiation experience beat out dozens of other personal favorites thanks to my many fond memories of it that match my enthusiasm to play it again. I found Chinatown to be a surprising hit with non-gamers that delightedly brings out both the best and worst in them. The most generous and thoughtful of folks can immediately transform into vicious traders who see the hunger in your eyes for their prized possessions, so they seize the opportunity to milk you for all you're worth. My number 9 game is Raw, best suited for everyone. Perhaps Raw is so high on my list simply because I've been waiting to acquire my own copy for far too long. Yet maybe it's made its way on here due to the perfect blend of auctioning and push-your-luck that it provides. How long will you wait to spend your best sun discs? Wait long enough, and you'll be one of the only players left to bid on all the lucrative tiles. Wait too long, and you may find the round ending before you've put your sun discs to good use. Is this auction really worth fighting for? Surely you aren't going to let another opponent claim these tiles for so cheap, are you? This game is jam-packed with tough decisions. As a fan of auctioning games, it doesn't get much better than Raw for me. My number 8 game of all time is Age of Steam, best suited for hobbyist gamers with thick skin. I just barely shared my thoughts on Age of Steam Deluxe Edition in my last Candid Cardboard New Release First Impressions episode. This train game rewards careful and opportunistic economic planning and punishes a lack thereof. Yet, players don't only have to account for their own budget and round-to-round plans, they must also account for the plans of their opponents. All it takes is for one player to steal away your goods cube, or build track on your plan space, or claim your needed bonus action, and you may suddenly find yourself losing a lot of money and points. But the arc this game takes, from scraping by with a few meager deliveries, to prospering with massive gains in income and ambitious rail developments, to shrinking opportunities for points as the cubes diminish from the board is a supremely satisfying experience. My number 7 game of all time is Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy, best suited for hobbyist gamers with a big table, and maybe a side table too. Last year, I sold my fully deluxified, mostly expanded, legendary boxed copy of Scythe, and put some of that money towards a copy of Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy. After spending several good hours playing multiple sessions of Eclipse, I have no regrets in swapping these two games. That's not a knock against Scythe, which I played and enjoyed a solid 15 times. Eclipse not only presents a wider range of freedom across its various actions and engine upgrades, but it also embraces a more interactive and tense 4X experience. The memorable moments of war and betrayal are strong with this one, as I shared in my recent board game birthday marathon musings episode. My number 6 game of all time is Sidereal Confluence Remastered Edition, best suited for hobbyist gamers. Continuing on with the theme of epic space games that take up a lot of table space, Sidereal Confluence features up to 9 wildly asymmetric alien factions cooperating with each other through chaotic, cubetacular negotiation. 
take the simultaneous trading concept of Chinatown, crank it up tenfold, add in a couple thousand chunky cubes, and you've got yourself sidereal confluence. The sheer amount of soulless components and icons in this game scared me off from trying it for the longest time, but I was sorely mistaken to avoid this game, because all those bits and pieces are mere cogs in a system of player-focused deals and negotiations, which are the beating heart of this excellent experience. Of course, it doesn't hurt that the remastered edition has given it a welcome makeover. So that's why Sidereal Confluence is my number six game. Moving on to number five, Hansa Teutonica Big Box, which is best suited for everyone. Despite Hansa Teutonica being over 10 years old and looking even older, it remains undeniably refreshing amid the onslaught of sluggish, overly complicated, low interaction euros because it is fast paced, streamlined, and wonderfully interactive. The new big box version provides even more content to explore. It makes for an incredible package value that is not big in size, but big in content. Quinns of Shut Up and Sit Down recently proposed that this might just be the greatest Euro ever in his recent YouTube review, and I'm inclined to agree. That's why the big box version was my number one release of 2020. My number four game of all time is Brass Birmingham, which is best suited for hobbyist gamers. Brass hasn't moved an inch in my rankings since I posted my top 50 games of all time last year on our blog. Even after several more plays, it remains just as engaging and enjoyable as the first time I tried it. It's solid at all player counts from 2 to 4, and I've yet to introduce it to a hobbyist gamer who didn't enjoy it. Brass Birmingham makes a strong case for re-implementations, especially considering the bland look of the original design and the reach that the new versions of Brass have made within the hobby, as this game is ranked number 3 on BoardGameGeek. If you are a hobbyist gamer looking to add a long-term, well-loved gem to your collection, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better bet than Brass Birmingham. My number 3 game of all time is Tigris and Euphrates, best suited for strategy gamers. The deeper I get into this hobby, the more I appreciate games that contain a wide dynamic range within a narrow rule space. Reiner Knizia is more skilled at creating these kinds of games than any other designer in the industry. That's why my top 50 is crammed with his masterpieces, and that's why Tigris and Euphrates, his magnum opus, is my number 3 game of all time. Most turns simply involve placing a couple tiles or leaders onto the game board. But the points those tiles can earn, the ripple effect their positioning can have, and the wars and revolts that they can trigger are where things get incredibly meaty. For an experience that appears to be abstract strategy through and through, it's surprising how thematic of a civilization game this is. The rise, prosperity, and fall of dynasties and kingdoms are epic arcs that most Civ games can only dream of providing. The many opportunities for clever moves and brilliant plays are what continually keep me coming back for more Tigris and Euphrates, my number three game of all time. My number two game is Crokinole, which is best suited for everyone. Crokinole straddles the fence that separates board games from competitive sports and rides that fence to the moon and back. Darts, billiards, foosball, and Jenga are perfectly fine indoor activities, but Crokinole takes the cake for me. Like a meaner, faster, sexier version of curling, Crokinole sees its participants flicking discs to the center of a large, slick board 
as they ricochet off a center ring of posts and collide with other discs. There's far more strategy here than simply aiming for the center hole. With enough plays, you start to realize that the planned positioning of your disc after you hit an opponent's disc is just as important as knocking them off the board. Crokinole works both as a four-player party game and a two-player showdown, and my board will remain a family heirloom for decades to come. That's why it's my number two game of all time. My number one game of all time, we finally arrived here, is none other than PAX Premier 2nd Edition, which is best suited for hobbyist gamers. When every aspect of a game oozes with deliberate thought and delicate attention to detail, it's hard not to be attracted to such an experience, regardless of its theme or genre. From the deeply intricate gameplay to the opulent multi-sensory production, none could call PAX Premier 2nd Edition anything but a labor of love. Premier transcends the level of consumer product and cements itself as a historical, philosophical, and strategic sandbox for participants to lose themselves in as they explore its nuances over the course of endlessly engaging plays. To boil this game down to its mechanical pieces, a political area control tableau builder, is a disservice to its greater whole. The vast card market, oscillating coalitions, tight economy, and unstable alliances all combine into a supple historical harmony between musical chair loyalties and tug-of-war gameplay. That's why PAX Premier 2nd Edition is my number one game of all time. I freaking love it. Nice job, Warley Brothers. This concludes my top 50 board games of all time. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with me through some of the world's greatest tabletop games. And if you're still hungry for more gaming goodness, then stick around with us here at Bytewing Games. We are thrilled to be launching a Kickstarter campaign this summer, featuring a bundle of three 20-minute games, including two zesty Reiner Kinesia designs. Be sure to head to our website and subscribe to our monthly newsletter so you don't miss out on this killer filler bundle. Speaking of which, the upcoming May email, which is next week, will feature a concept art reveal for Reiner Kinesia's Soda Smugglers. We can't wait to show you how amazing this game looks. But until next time, my name is Nick Murray, and this is the Bywing Games Podcast. <laughs>